Stand-up comic joke it up one time. Fun day. Wait for it. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Important part. Welcome to Let's Talk About Sets. This is a comedy podcast, of course, and it's all about the science and craft of stand-up comedy by comics who love it. This is Jeff McBride right here, and next to me is good old Harrison Tweed. How you doing, guys? And our guest today is Joe Zimmerman. Hi. Yeah. Um, I'm Joe Zimmerman. I'm the guest. Yes. <laughs> Jeff, just listening to your voice already, you sound like such a podcaster. I hear it. Yeah, right. I get I, it. I, I get went the gold. To, I, I, I have a degree in assistant podcastership. Voice and face for podcasting. <laughs> this guy, right? <laughs> right? Oh, right it's out of the gate. scary face. Right it's out of the gate. <laughs> the theme today is pacing. And we're going to get started with a bit by Todd Berry, and it's from his 2017 special, Spicy Honey. Thank you. Oh my God! Ooh. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh my God! Thank you. Ah, nothing like that comedy special applause that you only get when you do a comedy special, and never, ever, ever else. Kind of a typical Todd Berry front row. Oh, actually, not some women. <laughs> Typical Todd Berry Ferner was like, guy by himself, empty chair. Guy by himself, empty chair with a graphic novel on it. Guy by himself, Pop-Tart. Guy brings a Pop-Tart from home. Puts it on the unsold seat, because his social skills are a bit questionable. One might call him a dweeb. You wanted to pick this, Joe, because there's a pacing element to this that you really dug. I turned on the spicy honey and laughed so hard in those first 15 seconds and was not expecting it uh-huh. when he was talking about the special applause <laughs> and never, ever, ever else. <laughs> um, and it just caught me off guard uh, how quick and how quickly he got into that it was great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to quote Todd Berry because each punchline is so subtle and... Mm-hmm timing based right um, right because i can't I've, I've listened to that opener a bunch of times and i still can't quote it right but it's <laughs> like uh oh yeah thank oh thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the special applause <laughs> which you only get when you do a special <laughs> and never ever ever else <laughs> but the way he paces the evers is so good yeah yeah and it, it, you're, you're right like there is a very like his uh, pacing is is a tough thing to even talk about because it's such a feel thing right it's a it's an almost like there's a it's, it's such an interplay with the audience itself so the timing with one audience might be different than the timing with another is that fair to say oh yeah that's where the audience becomes you know 50 percent of the show is yeah you can't do well you can't do comedy with no audience 
it's not comedy. So, uh, uh, yeah, the audience affects your pacing. Oh, I want to write that down. And your pacing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, totally. Your pacing. But but uh, I've had to, I actually have thought about pacing more recently because I think when you're starting out a comedy, I remember people always being like, oh, you got to pause for the joke. Yeah. You got to let the audience know there's a punchline there and really sell it and wait for the laugh. And now when I see people do that, I'm like, I, you can just tell they're pausing really hard for the joke. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually and now I'm going to pause hard. I feel like that's like a beginner's tip that only applies to your first month of comedy. Because, yeah. um, because now I, whenever the audience is like not getting it or not that into it, I used to, I used to sort of pause really hard to like get them to, to get into it, get into the laugh. And, and that just feels, that just feels forced. Now I'm, now I just go with their reaction. If they're not laughing, Uh just keep rolling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't, don't force them to laugh. Just wait. I planned you were laughing here. I planned this (laughs) wait until you do your, I'm doing my part. (laughs) It's really uncomfortable when you watch someone who's just just started stand up and they, and they're already a little confident in themselves. And then they take the mic away from their mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, that's you. You think we are going to give it to the, that's the the ultimate confident slash no confident move. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Punchline microphone way over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And just to watch them bombing that, and they're just like, uh, regroup, and then they and they do it like four more times. Uh, yeah, so a more natural pacing is to just listen to what the audience is giving you. If they're giving you nothing, don't sit there and wait. Yeah, <laughs> keep rolling. Give them an opportunity to give you more nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think sometimes it's uh it throws off your pacing when you're like writing a new joke when. Maybe you did it in a warm room or a hot room and like, and like every line that you like got a laugh. And then you realize as you go on, you go to more and more shows. You're like, oh, a lot of times this line isn't a laugh. Like that. And then you're, then you're just standing there like, okay. Yeah. You need more explanation. Well, I shouldn't just talk about tight crowds. Like on the flip side, there are super hot crowds Mm -hmm. and they want like. No laugh at a setup. At the Corden taping. The crowd is so hot and so supportive. They want to clap for everything you say. Yeah. And you have to control. You have to not let them clap the whole set. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> I have to do my comedy. So, uh-huh. so you have to push. You have to push the pace on them as well. If anything, I feel like lately in the last. I feel like lately uh, in the last six months, I've pushed the pace a little more. Uh-huh. Like if they're quiet, I keep it going. And if they're hot, I keep it moving. You want to keep the pace that's well, that's the right pace for comedy. From listening to your body of work, though, one of the things I really appreciate is how willing you are to wait to allow an audience to catch up to you. Mm-hmm. Because uh, a lot of your material, we'll play some of it, it has some subtlety to it that the combination of your intonation and timing is a lot of the meaning and people have to put those pieces together. And some people are going to already be racing ahead a little, but a lot of people, like I'll hear the laughs and they they are distanced out as you hear how quickly or like slowly some it's a slow burn. Get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll wait for all those people to... Get, get to get it who are going to get it. And then you're like, great, next line. <laughs> yeah. 
Is that what it sounds like is going on? Yeah, I mean, obviously pacing is also instinctual. So uh, on the album, I think on the albums, there's a little more focus on getting everything right and making sure people get things instead of... So in the album, you're focused a little bit on the live feel and What's what, what people will hear at home. Mm-hmm. So it's ever so slightly maybe a slower pacing for the album. Yeah. Right. And I noticed that that difference between your late night sets and then the same jokes that would be on the album. I yeah. would, I was like, oh, okay, the timing is different huh. just because here's this audience like that's clapping really hard and totally with you and you're going to go right through it or, but on the album, it's more like, it's just, there, there was this, uh, um, I, I see what you're saying. Also on the late night, it's all about condensing the jokes into the shortest amount of possible space that's could possibly exist yes. Yeah. to yes. do a, to do comedy in essentially four minutes and 20 seconds. Right. Cause that's how long the set is before you take it into the studio, which to get in a, f- a set in four twenty. that's really, is, uh, you got to really condense the jokes. Uh-huh. You'd uh, cut tags and I'd be like, oh, I missed that tag. Yeah, and it's like, I love that tag. Yeah. You must you're, feel the same way. Yeah, you're right. It's like chopping off limbs that you like. Yeah. And you're like, well, I, I have to do that to, or else right. I'm just, they cut me off there. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, in an album, you're allowed to let the bits breathe a little more and mm-hmm. do, every, do every tag that you want to do as well. I want to listen to a little bit of your work. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, yes. I love that you call it my work. <laughs> I appreciate Life that. Uh, yes, I'd like to uh, dig into your discography. I feel special. <laughs> uh, the first track I'd like to play is off of your brand new album, which uh, it came, it dropped just recently, right? Yeah, last Friday. Everybody's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Can't even. There were, ugh, there were people talking about it on the street. Um, yeah, yeah. Outside of V-Spot. <laughs> yeah. They were actually plugging in Times Square, too. That's crazy. It's on Mickey. Yeah. That's huge. It's called Innocence, <laughs> and uh, it's available on the internet, uh-huh. I think. All the places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, all that. So this, this track is called Happiness. The number one New Year's resolution this year, according to Twitter was happiness, and it's nice to find out people don't understand what goals are. (laughs) Happiness is a feeling. You can't just achieve it. What are you up to this week? Satisfaction. How's that going? I'm struggling. Can't get none. Maybe you should try diet and exercise. No, I'll just try being fulfilled. (laughs) And I came across a book called Happiness in the self-help section. It was by this Buddhist monk. It was all about wanting less and needing less and having less. And around chapter four, I was like, happiness is sad. (laughs) I don't want those things. I need to find a book called Sadness about owning my own private plane. (laughs) Just get flown from place to place luxuriously. I'm crying. (laughs) That'd make me happy. All right, I'm going to pause this for a second. I want to talk about the first half yep. of this joke. I'm really curious about the different iterations that this mm-hmm. might have gone through. Yeah. Because it's so tight. 
It's so tight. Just satisfaction. I'm struggling. There's so there's no fat on this at all. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, like what what was the genesis of this bit? Like when did you first? This is the it was a New Year's resolution or the number one New Year's resolution? Yeah, I think uh, you know I went through a phase in my life where I was genuinely trying to figure out happiness. We'll call it 2016. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I read a book called Happiness by a Buddhist monk. Oh, uh, I know, I know the book. Matthew Ricard, I think, is the mm-hmm. author. And uh, and so I wanted to talk about happiness, um, but I kept trying to talk about it. I wasn't sure how. And the more I learned about happiness, the more it's actually sort of people are obsessing about it in our society. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I'm just, I'm just kind of thinking about it a lot because that's what society is, is thinking about right now. They're like, well, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And the studies show that when you are like focused on being happy, that it actually becomes more elusive. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk about, you know, this obsession of, with happiness and the pointless, really the pointlessness of that. Right. Um, and it took me a while to figure out how to turn that into punchlines. But, um, but with that joke, I think, um, it was just two different things came together. The, 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 the number one new year's resolution being happiness, being a feeling that was easy for me to poke fun at mm-hmm. because it just doesn't seem like a, that's just a terrible, first of all, that's a terrible resolution. You can't resolve to be happy. If you would yeah. make a new year's resolution, it's like read more books, read one book yeah. a month. Uh, meditate. It has to be something specific. Some sort of objective measurement. <laughs> to, to just write down happiness be like, as a resolution is so stupid. And I wanted to make that point. Um, and people do that. People are like, I want to be happy this year. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you can't do that. So that was part number one. And part number two was a separate thing that I had read that, that Buddhist monk book and just found it to be completely boring. Um, on, it was just all about like being a monk. Mm. <laughs> yeah. like, okay, dude. Yeah. Don't tell me how to be a monk. I yeah. got a book called Happiness. Yeah. This book should be called Being a Monk. Yeah. So I was frustrated by the book. I was frustrated by the resolution, and they both involved happiness. So I essentially just was making jokes about things I was frustrated about and things that I was chasing myself and had sort of g- learned to give up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had learned to sort of stop in the pursuit of pure happiness. When and- did you, like, when did you find, like, uh, this, there was, like, there's a wonderful reversal in this where you, uh, you clearly elucidate that it's like, okay, if you, you're, you're chasing happiness, you basically have to do, have all these things that would make you otherwise sad. And vice versa, like, um, oh, well, maybe I could be sad <laughs> owning my own plane. Yeah. Like, like that, that reversal is delightful. And was that like, um, I'm curious about your process. Were you just like writing that out in the copy shop or was that like, okay, I'm going to play with this on stage. What's, what's your process getting there? I think, um, I think the process was, you know, writing, writing in a coffee shop, just writing about that book. What's funny. What's, why was that book frustrating to me? Mm-hmm. A, because it's called happiness and it was just super boring things about like monks that were in prison camps. Hey, I'm proud of the two chapters I made into that book. Okay. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, there you go. It was like, here's a monk who's in a prison camp and he learned to be satisfied. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, um, so writing about that and, um, he's not wrong, uh, you know, want, you know, wanting less needing less, having less. Um, it's, it's the people that want 
all the things that are the, are the most bummed out. Right. Um, so I just, I don't know. The re- I think the reversal just came naturally through, through just a, a free, you know, stream of consciousness, free, right? In terms of pacing with this one, I love, there are moments where you'll, you're absolutely like, I'm going to pause here. I'm going to give you this moment to think about it. But then there are also other moments where you'll plow right through multiple pieces of it. And then it's just the last word. It's just like, I'm cry- luxurious. I'm crying. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And this may not be something conscious. I don't know, but I like how you, you vary your patterning so much as opposed to, uh, there are many um, more like one-liner comics where it's that, that patterning is like set. Da, 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 da. And you don't, you don't really do that. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. I, I try to create variety, but in my head, I have no idea if, if, if my delivery sounds similar or not. Yeah. So I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to look at your own. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Harrison's like, no, it's the same. <laughs> no, it's very let's uh, let's let's play a little bit more of uh, happiness. Yes, this is really milking the bit. This next part would not go on a late night mm-hmm. set. This is just extra tags. Yeah, and by the way, I love that. Oh, okay. I love how far you will go with a bit. <laughs> how you will just keep ringing it out and ringing it out. You're like there's still a little, there's a drop left. Yeah, well, it's yeah. so great. Well, thank you. And this is part of the bit that if I'm in a club where they're really into the first part. I'll do this part, Mm -hmm. and if they're just so-so, I will leave this part off. (laughs) I need to find a book called Sadness about owning my own private plane. (laughs) Just get flown from place to place. Luxuriously, I'm crying. (laughs) That'd make me happy. That's all it takes to have a best-selling self-help book is a title that people want. The four-hour work week, I'm like, I could handle four hours. <laughs> the secret, I'm like, what is it? <laughs> Awaken the giant within, I'm like, there's a giant in there? <laughs> Let's get her out of bed. How to win friends and influence people. How'd you get all your friends? I won them. (laughs) I'm writing a self-help book right now. I'm calling it Washboard Abs on a Pizza Diet. (laughs) Hmm? Because who doesn't love pizza, right? People love pizza and perfect abs. I think it's going to sell well, and I'll let you in on the whole diet. For breakfast, pizza. Now, from 8 o'clock to noon, you got to do ab exercises. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be intense. But you know you get pizza for lunch. from 1 to 6 p.m. Yes, ab exercises. (laughs) We're calling that the hard part of your day is that five-hour grind. (laughs) But pizza for dinner. (laughs) You are going to love your pizza abs, trust me. That's all page one of my book. There's more to it. Uh, It's mostly diagrams of ab exercises. (laughs) 
and pizza recipes that I stole from the internet. Thank you. That's why I like doing comedy albums is because you can keep milking a bit for mm -hmm. a comedy album that you can't necessarily do other places. Yeah. I love your uh, how to win friends and uh, influence people joke because I've I've seen people read that on the subway and it's like, is this... This is like a sociopath handbook. <laughs> like, why? Why are you winning them? <laughs> why are you influencing people? Oh, I don't... That book is such a classic. I think it's from the 20s or 30s. Yeah. yeah. And it was oh. one of the first big, from what I understand, one of the first big influential self-help books. And uh, But and now it's just so old-fashioned, the strategies. Yeah. Anytime somebody uses any of those things on me, for example, excited to see me. <laughs> listening very closely to what I'm saying, interested in what I'm saying. I'm just what? like, what do you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> I read that book and now I have no trust for people who are, use any of those basic strategies. Like, for, he said, you know, you know how you're happy to see your dog? It's because your dog is wagging. It's happy to see you. Mm -hmm. So basically he's like, so if you want somebody to like you, be really excited to see them like a dog. <laughs> It's like, dude, come on. <laughs> Who wrote it? Fuck. Yeah. See, what you're saying is my, I, I have to get a new book now? Jesus uh, Christ. That book, uh, <laughs> that book, so that was one of the books I read maybe in my 20, early 20s that messed me up for conversations because I was like, oh, you got to ask people questions, be interested in what they're saying, mm -hmm. right? And if, and if I'm saying my opinions, that's kind of selfish. It's kind of what the book is saying. Mm -hmm. That's the message I took. So then I would like, have these conversations with people where I'm just interviewing them, you know? <laughs> and it was really painful. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything about myself. I would just be interviewing these people. It'd be laborious. And finally somebody was like, I think it was my therapist was like, you know, sometimes it, it helps to share things about yourself <laughs> um, so that people get to know you. Like people like to hear things about you so and, and then, so and you're like let me write this on the last empty page of yeah, <laughs> yeah it took me about 10 years to to correct that interview problem <laughs> have you read all the books that you talk that you talk about the secret and happiness i mean well you said you read uh, happiness, but, uh i read happiness i read um how to win friends and influence people uh i read you know, the beginning of Awaken the Giant Within and the beginning of Four Hour Work Week. Mm -hmm. I've not read The Seeker, but I've read about the principles of putting what you want out into the universe. Yeah. And the harder you want it, the more the universe gives like, it back. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's it's like, I don't trust that just based on the premise because mm -hmm. if you do that and then you get what you want, you're like, oh, The Seeker worked. And if you don't get you what you want, you're like, oh, I need to want it harder. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend that's in like a pyramid scheme. I showed you a video it's of so him. Funny. It's fucking crazy. But he's like, he has an Instagram page and he's just talking about like, I bought this Range Rover. And it's like, and, and it's just like, you gotta uh, have balls. You gotta balls to buy it. It's like, dude, you're just something in, like this. And he's just so in debt. And then just, <laughs> but he's like, I took it off my dream board. And it's like, that's <laughs> not. Uh, and it takes balls to go into debt like this. Uh, it's big balls. It's so fucked so up. So ridiculous. I, I'm so scared for him. Yeah. yeah. Some it's, people would call that balls. Other people would call that a bad decision. Yeah, yeah. Balls oh. for brains. 
when you say gotta do ab exercises, you just give it so much room to breathe. <laughs> and people slowly just get that that's the whole joke. Yeah. You, I get to hear the different people just go, ha 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 ha. It's not that just like explosive, you shocked me. It's, oh, this is really funny. <laughs> so I slowly get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess there's subtle, there's subtle jokes and then there's hard punchlines. Right. And there, yeah, there's a lot of subtle, soft punchlines in that bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I guess for the soft ones, you got to have a good crowd and, you know, wait out the laugh. I think with a weird, I think the weird thing about me watching comedy is I've always enjoyed those subtle, soft punchlines more than a hard like a little throwaway joke yeah i love the throwaways more than the hard punch in the face i don't know there's there's something about the soft one under the breath that really tickles me Mm -hmm. and the hard punchline is like okay we we all saw that one And you go for those you'll you'll let like at the end of your bit you'll just throw one last thing in there yeah and i'm i was i was gonna ask you about it i was just curious like what is um a lot of comedians would be like why not leave them on this one? Why throw that last one in there? And is it for you, is it that because you just love that throwaway line? I like the throwaway line. I also, I, I think I started out getting into comedy, listening to albums. Mm-hmm. And, uh-huh. and I remember whether it was Mitch Hedberg or Steve Martin, they'd go through this whole string of hard punchlines and I'd be kind of listening curiously as a new listener. And then there'd be that last little line that got almost nothing from the audience that I would just like chuckle so hard to myself. I don't know why that line got me, but I think those last lines hit certain people and other lines hit other people. So you got to give a line for everybody, you know? When I listen to albums, I feel like I laugh at those little throwaways more too. I think one thing, and maybe it's because we're comics, I think it's because those are the jokes I know they like the most. (laughs) Does that make sense? We're like, it's like a weird tag, and sometimes it doesn't even work at all. Right. But you can tell they like it and they like won't throw it away. Mulaney has a lot of those actually. Um, Oh, that's funny because I feel like every line he does hits so hard that's well but he, I'll, I'll have to listen for the throw is i i guess i heard this it was him and pete Holmes talking about the donald trump bit and he was like i'll have fine golden hair was one of the lines yeah and then he, it never working really and then like pete Holmes being like don't stop doing that that's my favorite part <laughs> and then it like got an applause break on conan and oh, it was nice. just like oh per- yeah yeah there's certain lines that for whatever reason don't work at a bar Mm-hmm. for 20 people at a bar crowd or whatever, yeah. but they're actually great lines. They're just, you have to be paying like at a theater in a theater crowd or TV. All, all of a sudden people are listening and they, that's the best line. The context is so different, right? right. Mm-hmm. A bar is a place that you would otherwise go to socialize with other people. And oftentimes in a bar, there are many distracting things. If you're in a theater, there is one focus. Right. And if you're yeah. not focused on that one thing you paid to go see, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense that those subtleties will become sort of like, I don't know, highlights. Yeah. It, Appreciate it. Me. Yeah. So it's weird because when you do a bar show, you, you, if you want to do well, you have to really just focus on the hard punchlines mm-hmm. and throw out the soft ones. But when you're doing a nice theater, uh, if you're just doing hard punchlines, you're almost missing the opportunity of the crowd that's paying close attention. Yeah. 
One of the things I liked, I like about your style, looking at it from the outside, is there's like a crafted naivete to the persona mm-hmm. that lets you get away with so many things. All the silly, dumb jokes that you do that are just like, oh my god, I can't believe what. what is- <laughs> <laughs> because it's this from this like place and then on top of all of that is your 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 deliberate timing and combined with very careful precise intonation as i was listening to it making sure that i knew your material before we got together i i got in like mesmerized by it i was like this is like comedy lullaby uh-huh. how am i <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> i'm sitting there like just laughing in this coffee shop and it's interesting that your you. voice like your literal voice it has it's like perfect for comedy and also would be perfect for like reading a children's book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes. It's yeah. like very comforting. It's uh, yeah, every time I do every time I do radio at 6 a.m. in the morning, you get the the you know, the rock jocks. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're here on 107Q the yeah. X coming at you. I say hello and immediately every time they're like, "Whoa, you're laid back." I'm like, "I just please let me." I just say I, hello. Dude, wow, you're laid back, huh? You're relaxed. <laughs> it's like, "I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want from me." But this is my voice. Yeah. yeah. I, I and even when I am giving my most energy, it still sounds very chill, I think. Yeah. But to other people. It's super chill. There'll be moments in your act where you're talking about murder. Because <laughs> <laughs> even the way you say murder. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I can't do it justice. That's murder time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a great time. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah, I, think, uh, it's, I think it's my personality to be sort of sweet and playful. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're from West Virginia. I grew up in Morgantown, West Virginia, and yeah. then I went to college at the friendliest college in the world, Davidson College, Davidson. North Is Carolina. That their tagline, or like- it's just a very friendly place. I went back there, and just everybody. I went back to Charlotte a month ago and did a Regan gig uh, with Regan, and uh, you you show up to Charlotte. And just everybody is suddenly talking to you. And it's not, yeah. it's not invasive. It's just no. like, it's just like they're in your space and they're like, yeah, so I don't know about these clouds, you know, and you're like, <laughs> and they're like, they're like, oh, that's nice. And what are you reading? And it's like, why, what? I guess I'm reading this. It's not invasive like yeah. New York. They're just chatty. I love North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. It's the, it's such a friendly state. It's weird. It's, it's like, it seems like it, like when I, fly back to North Carolina and I'm going through the RDU airport at just the pace from going in like JFK and like the subway. And then just like, I'll be like speed speeding down the terminal. And then I'll be like, Oh, like no one is going fast. Everyone is like having a pleasant afternoon. And then I'm just running through people. And so aggressive because of my New York demeanor. Exactly. That's yeah. Very weird. So I got the little bit of the South, but uh, I've been in New York seven years and I, I like to be playful and silly and I like to be stupid. Yeah. So I'll make some, some, some dumb jokes to be silly and playful, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, which is weird to me that after a show, people will go like, it's weird to me when people go, Oh, your comedy is so intelligent. I'm like, no, it's not. I've, I've made it available to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. It works. This is material well, that, that works for like children. It's not that smart. There's like, you know what it is? It's because you're using, what are they called? Facts. Oh, like, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're using facts and you're like, here's a thing I read. And they're yeah, like, yeah. ooh, re- that is smart. Yeah. He remembered a thing he read. <laughs> then he thought about it. 
I think that's what they're saying to you. But I try. Yeah. So, but that's a good point. I, and you, and you have to, and honestly, my whole act would be setups of, I read this thing, mm -hmm. but the audience immediately turns off as soon as you say red. Right. So I, mm -hmm. I do try to use different ways of getting into bits that don't I saw involve this picture that don't involve me saying I read something yeah. because audience is like, Oh, he read something. <laughs> Wait, did you realize you were, uh, did you set out to, I mean, you're just, you ended up being clean, right? Yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't set out to be that way, but it, yeah. it actually happened organically. I'm not, and I'm not a hundred percent squeaky, squeaky clean, yeah. but it happened organically because starting out in bar shows, the, 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 the curse, I don't, I, the, the curse word or whatever will accentuate the punchline and it'll get a bigger laugh in a drunk crowd. And, uh, it almost feels like taking a shortcut. But then after a few years of doing comedy, the shortcut was no longer working for me. Mm -hmm. People were like, why is he cussing? Yeah. Yeah. So it just didn't fit my personality. These uh -huh. fucking snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <that laughs> fucking <work>. snakes. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, fucking abs or whatever. <laughs> People were like, why did he just curse? That makes no sense. Yeah. But for the first few years, people were like, hell yeah, curse word. Mm -hmm. And then something in my vibe must have changed. It just didn't match. Again, I think it's that childlike, like crafted naivete that your persona it has. It's, it would be weird to hear that cursing uh -huh. <laughs> so much. Yeah. It's my best guess at it. I have a new bit where I'm, where I'm screaming. I'm screaming because I'm excited to see a sea lion <laughs> at the top of my lungs. And in that bit, I say, fuck yeah. And it works when I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs in a quiet voice, uh -huh. but I only use it every now and then. Uh -huh. Right. I'm not like, I'm not like, fuck, fuck. You've, yeah, you've yeah. grown back into cursing. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm saying, but I left it off the album because I wanted, you know, if there was only going to be one curse word on there, there might as well be no curse words. Yeah. Got it. That's yeah. my thought. Yeah. You were talking about a little bit about Charlotte or whatever, that yeah, it yeah, being sure. yeah. an incredibly friendly place. So I think that's a good lead in to the next bit I'd like to play and talk about, which is persistence. This is also off of innocence. When I remember life before smartphones, what I don't understand is life before the phone phone. And I was on a plane and this old lady was wheeled up to me and sat down and she turned to me and started talking, and I was like, is this how things used to be? <laughs> I had to pull my earbuds out. I said, what'd you say? She said, I said, hello. Are you from Colonial Williamsburg? <laughs> I've never met anybody that talked on the airplane. And we talked, she was sweet, and she ended up telling me the story of how she met her husband. And she was like, well, he asked me to dance, and I said no. And he was persistent, and we got married. How was he persistent? You said you didn't have a phone. And she goes, oh, he just kept showing up to my house unannounced. Was that legal? Imagine saying no to somebody at a dance the next day they're at your window. <laughs> I found you. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> I 
from the dance. <laughs> you said no to me, so I tracked you down. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Will you marry me? Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> She's gonna love my persistence. <laughs> You'd have to marry that guy or find a new place to live. <laughs> People say chivalry's dead. I just think those guys are in jail now. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. <laughs> So many good things in this. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, you started writing stuff down, so I'm curious what you wanted to pick out. Oh, two things. One, I'd like to talk about persistence, the idea. But but on topic, um, I, I wrote down, I found you when I waved. Because that was a, that was an area of pacing that I did play around with for a little bit. Mm -hmm. When when I go, uh, I do an act out of waving into the window. <laughs> um can you imagine saying no to somebody at the dance the next day they're at your window? And um, I do a pause and wave. Uh -huh. And that gets a big laugh. And then I say, I found you. Yeah. But, um, but at first I was just doing it as one joke where I would wave and say, I found you at the same time. I, I found you. But I realized people were laughing before I even said I found you. Uh -huh. So I separated the wave. And then I said, I found you, which took some playing around with oh, the joke so, in half yeah that's so interesting and it turned into two punchlines yeah, right yeah. right you get to the point where it's every line in this but you don't pause until you say is this how things used to be you zip through and you paint this picture of being on the plane with this old lady and it's it's very very quick until finally you go is this how things used to be and then you wait and everybody's on board with how absurd this is and from that from that point that 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 pause to me is so pregnant where you just it's 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 part of your pacing you just you will wait with such it seems like with just such confidence like uh, okay everybody ready here we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you i mean those are jokes that um cuz i've worked on that bit a lot for the for the court, the late night set i know in that bit that the last run of of waving at the lady's house works very consistently with various crowds. The p talking to an old lady on an airplane mm -hmm. um, can really swing and miss with certain crowds. Oh, really? How so? Um, I'll say uh, this old lady wheeled up, sat down next to me and started talking. And I was like, is this how things used to be? Some audiences don't get that. That's a joke. Mm -hmm. Like, is this how thing that, that, that she's talking to me and that I, that I'm saying, you know, what is that? Obviously you guys get the joke, but I'm saying some audiences don't get the joke. Ah. I take my noise canceling earbuds out and I say, what'd you say? And she's like, I said, hello. <laughs> um, and again, some audiences, I mean, a good audience really gets that joke and yeah. some audiences, it's a real swing and a miss. Uh huh. But, um, is but I'm not geographic? sure. I'm not sure exactly. I think it has to do with that. It's that tighter bar, tighter bar crowd uh -huh. will get the other parts of that bit. And laugh at the other parts of that bit that hit harder, but for some reason, that part of this chunk is a little more, a little softer. Well, there's there's subtler punchlines. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, is this how things used to be? There's right. there's weight underneath that. Yeah, it's, yeah. you're saying, um, 
you're saying, wait a minute. First of all, we don't talk to anybody on the plane and we don't want to. <laughs> Second of all, you still think that this is how things work. You haven't caught up uh-huh. and now I have to deal with your old timey ways. Right. But maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, you're not sp- you're not spoon feeding them what the humor is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the pacing on that. You, I had to, you know, I have to really wait for that one to land, because to let people know that that is the punchline. Right. You have to for some for some people for some crowds. Uh, yeah, and then. Uh, but yeah, that whole topic persistence man has been frustrating for me since college because everybody tells you like. Oh, you gotta be persistent with women. And it's like, <laughs> finally, I know now that is just not true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe that's true in the 30s. Yeah. You know, cause like some, like I wanna keep talking about persistence still, like, but, but how, cause how like every old couple you meet, the lady's like, oh, you know, he asked me out and I said no. And uh, <laughs> he kept asking me out and I was like, scram. <laughs> And then he kept asking me out and we had 12 children, you know, every (laughs) single old couple, it's a similar story of persistence. And it's like, I guess that's romantic. You're like, wait, well, so why are you together? Oh, my, his strength of will. (laughs) (laughs) But so I learned in college. His will was stronger than mine. Yes. And so, uh, exactly. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And I don't think that exists anymore. I think now women are more empowered and equal now. And if they say no to you, it's like, don't try again. Why would you try again? They clearly don't like you. I'm not going back. Uh. Now, if somebody says no to me, I'm like, yeah, I... I'm sorry that I asked. I that's yeah. on me. There's I shall go keep looking elsewhere. But I guess on the flip some side, some people keep trying, but I don't know. I, I don't I, think I, these... Just a kick to argue the other side of this. For I want to hear the other side. Yeah. So men, we, we like we're more attracted initially in that first superficial stage to physical appearance, right? That's our that's our primary thing. The first thing is physical appearance, and of course, it becomes more complex. And you and you you know you get to know somebody, and it. it but that initial superficial thing is she's beautiful. I find her attractive physically, right? And I'm not. And 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 women have that too, of course. But they're also like. Let, let me put it this way. Like I've never heard a guy be like, yeah, she's smoking hot, but she's a secretary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. You do hear women say like, oh, but I didn't he, like he him has at four. First. You do hear women say, oh, he's got four roommates. Or vice yeah. versa. They'll go, I didn't like him at first, but then I got to know him. And then and like, you just don't hear guys saying that, you know, immediately like, oh, I, I I'm pretty sure I want to have sex with that. A specimen over there as a, as a biological whatever and then then they can do things that turn you off and then well, you go oh yeah never mind i can't handle her laugh or whatever well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, i am reading a, a science book right now sex at dawn about men and women oh yeah and, yeah. and the scientists say i'm not going to put myself under the boat under, under the ship throw myself off the ship but uh, the scientists say uh, at first yeah men more physical attraction and women more into you know character and status things like that or, yeah or just even just character and um a, a more complex things right and yeah. so so the thing is is that they don't know you at first right. and they have a first impression yes. and then if you're persistent and you can show hey look i am one of the good ones <laughs> you would like me if you got to know me i see what you're saying so, so, I, so their first impression might not be the final impression so you might as right, well keep right, trying right right 
I'm not saying always do that. I'm or or even not even saying anything. All I'm saying is I think I get why that does work. Yeah. Um. Because I have like tons of female friends. I've had endless conversations about like guys they like or don't like or whatever, and it's just so different than the conversations I have with my male friends. Like yeah. It, it's just this. It's different. Maybe it's my naivete that you speak of, but <laughs> for some reason, my the way attraction has worked for me historically is, the, if a woman is like almost sort of hitting on me, picking me up, mm-hmm. that's my only chance ever with women. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I get that, and it happens because I do comedy shows, but uh, and you see, you meet people, but when I hit on a woman, it it almost always is like. Why are you, you know, it's almost always like, all right, easy there or whatever. And then it lands immediately friendship. (laughs) And you're, and you're also, you know, probably you seem respectful, right? So like, you're probably like, you pick up on those cues and you're like, I'm not gonna, all right. So I want to be like that. I just feel like I've got this non-traditional thing where women will sort of pick me up. And never the other way around. <laughs> no, I, I, t- I can 100% relate to that. Yeah. Like, I, I got married to a woman who saw me in a bar and was like, I think you're the most beautiful man that I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know about how many bald, hairy Jews you think are in modeling, but like, <laughs> okie dokie. Uh, like, and so like I, that has happened to me. Yeah. My, my current girlfriend right now, just, I went to a party and she just sat in my lap. Like it doesn't, I don't, if anytime I go try, it doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think I think the women are the ones doing all the selecting at this point. <laughs> yeah, they're crushing. Yeah, <laughs> they're crushing. I it. like their picks too. <laughs> yeah, they you... pick better than us too. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, uh, like, oh yeah, he seems great. Yeah, I'm a good good pick. Well, their criteria are you know uh, they deeper, <laughs> and they can. Also or persistent, like, it's like, oh, he was persistent. And it's like, well, have you seen what women's, like, DMs look like right now? Men are still persistent. Right, <laughs> it's right. not like, That's yeah. That's true. The DMs. Yeah, yeah. You block that shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. DMs. This is such a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, it is. All right. So uh, going back but, yeah. to... So I wanted to talk about yeah. persistence in a, yeah. in a silly way. Love yeah. it. Love yeah. it. Um, it's And so this came... Again, this is another... This is just another source of frustration. So you were like, okay, I keep hearing this, but it doesn't seem to be real. Look right. at this example. Did this ever happen? Did this... Did you sit ne- down next to an old lady in the and plane? I did meet... Um, and I did meet a sweet old lady, yes, who said those exact things. I combined the plane setup, since we're talking shop, to make the setup smoother, because mm-hmm. I also talked to a different old lady on a plane who was very chatty. Right. We talked the whole flight. But the story of this old lady, I wasn't my ex-girlfriend's grandmother. We visited a nursing home and we sat down and over, you know, lunch. And she told me the story of how she met her husband. Yeah. And that was the exact story. (laughs) And I just, um, and I did, I told that bit from the nursing home perspective for a while and then just combined the airplane because it was just more jokes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so much faster. And it's such a quick um, visual anybody can get. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, anytime you're talking about anything that's relatively sinister, you do so from a very childlike place of wonderment and innocence, like where you're like, I found you <laughs> <laughs> from the day. I love you. <laughs> it's so, it's so sinister. Right. And yet because it's, it has that, 
that uh, contrast with the, the, the that gentle delivery. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's, that's and that's a genuine um, like ima- like a daydream I have of like before phones. I don't understand how people, you know, flirted with each other. We have we have DMs. Yeah. What was their DM? And so it's just thinking about that sort of stuff and right. then learning that this guy showed up to her house yeah, all yeah. the time. That was the DM. And it, like he yeah. got up in the That's morning. Insane. He's like, today I'm going over to Nancy's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to pick some daisies on the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he doesn't even know if she's going to be there. How far away is her house? Hopefully it was close by. <laughs> Should we introduce? Yeah, let's Joe? introduce Joe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's we do that. We haven't introduced you yeah. yet. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean, introduce me? We gotta, we gotta plug your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we haven't told, we haven't said anything about me yet. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, They're like, this guy sucks. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got creddies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Joe Zimmerman, he's been on the Late Late Show with James Corden. That was just recently, right? That was last. That was feels like this week, but it was last week. Last week. And The Tonight Show, you have a Comedy Central half hour. You've got two albums now. You've been on Conan once. And you also have a new podcast, right? Yeah, I have a, a new podcast called A Great Listening Experience. Experience and the new album, Innocence. Mm-hmm. And I've been, yeah, so I've done 18 episodes of the podcast now. Mm-hmm. And it's a great listening experience. Yeah. Okay, I can't wait to check it out. <laughs> I, we were laughing at the track, at the titles of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. so yeah. yeah, it looks good. I'm so curious, like what, what brought you, what got you into stand up at the beginning? Uh, I went to Davidson college, me and my boy, Steph Curry. Uh, I actually played division one sports, no big deal. I played, uh, golf, but I was very focused on golf. And, uh, and then towards junior, senior year, I was like, I want to do something more creative, but ultimately couldn't keep up with the workload of reading. Cause I was an English major. Uh-huh. Couldn't keep up with the reading 40% participation grade though. So I had to participate in class. <laughs> so I would read a page of the 80 pages and then I would just chime in. I remember British romanticism. I would chime in a funny comment every chance I got. Cause I knew nothing about the content. Yeah. So I could only chime in something funny. <laughs> Uh, and I was killing at 8 a.m. in British Romanticism. The teacher loved it. The class loved it. 40% participation, A+. Plus. And, and to top it all off, uh, at the end of the year at a fraternity party, and I was never really, I never felt accepted by the fraternity brothers. Mm-hmm. I was, an in, you know, independent. Really? A fr- you, you seem like such a frat guy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, like, like I, you're so aggressive. I wish I had a keg for us to stand <laughs> right, upon. Right. Yeah. The a fraternity, a legit fraternity brother, was like, "Dude, Joe Zimmerman, <laughs> you're the reason I show up for British romanticism. <laughs> Dude, you kill it in there." <laughs> so that gave me my first taste of uh, of crushing. Were you yeah. already listening to albums and stuff obsessively, or was it? Uh, not obsessively. I remember sophomore year for my birthday, my friend Ev Evelyn gave me the Mitch Hedberg CD that that would hit right before he became a gigantic deal. Oh, cool. So I listened to that Mitch Hedberg CD a bunch of times, and I was just very mesmerized by that album. But I wouldn't say I was obsessed with it. I was just like, "What is this? Mm-hmm. This is really interesting and funny." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I would, you know, qu- occasionally quote it to people, but uh. But I didn't get 
Really. Let me feed you a leaf. That was, I think that was just maybe a, the spark that got me, piqued my curiosity. And then you started where? Charlotte, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah, right after college. Um, just wanted to do something creative that involved creativity. So and it could have been finger painting. You just landed, you just haphazardly. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you're an idiot in college. You're like, I got to make goals. You got to make big goals, the secret. Uh huh. I was like, I, I wrote down three goals. <laughs> Start a coffee shop, <laughs> write a novel, uh-huh. be a stand-up comedian. And I wrote those, you know, I wrote those down and like on my vision board or whatever. And a stand-up comedian was the only one that seemed to, uh, seemed to jive for uh-huh. me. Wow. Yeah. Although I did start a coffee shop, no big deal. Yeah. But, oh, really? That's yeah, a whole nother story. I would imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> but writing those vision boards is helpful. I've... I found that a novel is extremely hard to do, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, but I did sort of start a coffee shop and did become. So a st- what st- we've, we've been approached by an independent publisher to uh-huh. turn this to podcast into a book. And oh, wow. yeah. And we, but then as I talked to the guy, I was like, uh, <laughs> it, the more I realized, I was like, Oh, this is so much work. He's like, so who's going to transcribe this? And I'm like, don't you have a team of people to do that? I already edited them and put them together. And li- I look, I have to do it again. Like, <laughs> Trans- oh, I don't, I don't know. Transcribing requires no thinking, though. So much. It's just like, uh, listen, stop, listen. I, I prefer to think. Oh, I don't want to yeah. do the drudgery. Yeah, you need a uh, you need an intern so, to transcribe. Are, are you looking do? for an internship? I would love one. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the wow, novelization you know of this We have podcast. so much to talk about. <laughs> they sent me. He sent me an uh, artificial intelligence version. Because he was like, well, maybe we can use AI to do this. Oh, it's utterly unintelligible. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> well, you could uh, just throw it out there to your gigantic fan base that if any of them <laughs> are interested in transcribing for, mean, tw- our, for $12 an hour or whatever you can afford. Our open mic comedian fan base. <laughs> yes, they will jump at this. <laughs> I bet there's an obsessive weirdo listening that is oh, interested I, I in transcribing. Would not doubt yeah, that. Yeah. Actually, there probably is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, twelve, fourteen dollars an hour. Throw them a little. Throw them a little cut. Yeah, yeah. Throw them a little cut of the per- percentages. The Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be written by Harrison Tweed. Yeah. Uh, transcribed by weirdo listener. Yeah, just weird guy that... <laughs> um, okay, anyway. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, book sounds hard um, is the point of that. You, you, you decide, okay, I'm going to go to open mics. And then at what point were you like, it's New York time? Oh, way too late. Beards of, Beards of Comedy. You were part of that with Andy Sanford, right? Yeah. I mean, I spent a lot of time doing um, North Carolina and doing the road in the Midwest um, and struggling. And because I was struggling doing tough gigs, I started helped start the Beards of Comedy out of Atlanta with friends to try to find more sort of more fun indie type gigs. But honestly, like I've, I, when I moved to New York, I'd been doing comedy six years and I felt like I moved here a couple years too late, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I mean, how do, how do you mean? Uh, because I think it goes both ways. People that start in New York are like, yeah, but you got the road experience and you got all that stage time and we didn't get that. And, but, 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 but I, I see comedians here who've come up together mm-hmm. and they're still together mm. and they're doing huge things. 
and everybody knows them because they've been in New York forever. And people that arrive here late, um, you're starting your reputation here at the moment you arrive. So people are like, yeah, but you're good now. So that's good. But it's like, yeah, but you're meeting people now too. I got to say, so it goes both ways. But it's easier to meet people if you're already good because I got here and I was basically starting from scratch. I'd done open mics at in San Francisco for a little while, like once a month. So when I got here, it was like, oh, I don't know anybody and I suck at this pretty bad. And <laughs> it was really hard because people, you know, if you don't do well, they shun you. Um, so I, yeah. I found that to be brutal. I mean, sure. now it's fine, but wow, it was hard. Well, yeah, I I'm guess. I'm maybe the road is worse. I guess <laughs> what I mean by late is um, at six years, I was starting to do headline some, some clubs, some, some mediocre clubs. And uh, I was doing the Beards of Comedy. We had two al- two Beards of Comedy albums out. Mm-hmm. And I was working on the road with Bamford and Jonagan. And, um, and then you come to New York and you feel like you're way past open mics. And, and you are. You're, I, may, I was making a living at comedy. But, uh, but you have to go show up and do the two-minute open mics yeah. in New York because you're not past that in New York, uh-huh. which is fine. I, I, I did it and I grinded out two years in yeah. New York going back to the open mic scene. Oh. But, uh, but it worked out, I, I guess. What, and, and, uh, and, and I got to do the, you know, I got to do the road version of the New York open mic grind, which is driving 12 hours and doing 30 minutes for, you know, in a casino, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, you know, has its a completely different version of a grind. Yeah. Wait, yeah. the tri-state road is a little bit different. Yeah. Than where you were doing before. I was like all through the Midwest and Southeast. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Not doing hardly doing any op- hardly doing any open mics my first six years of comedy. Really? Like barely any. The only one in Charlotte was once. There was one in Charlotte once every two weeks. Really? When I was start my first year of comedy was. Once every two weeks. Yeah. was an open wow. mic. Yeah. And then just someone was like, you're funny. Come on the road with me. I was just grinding to, to get to, to MC clubs and, um, or, uh, do people's showcases. Wow. Yeah. That's why. Cause I, we, I mean, yeah, we don't know that world. We yeah. Both. It's a different world. Know, yeah. yeah. Just, Oh, like starting with mics and hoping you get booked from what you did at mics, I guess. And then to just like, you're just like, no, I'll just do shows first. You ha- I mean, there's no, there's not enough Something mics else. to do mics. That's so wild. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. But how do, do they know you're funny to put you on the show? Well, you do the one mic every two weeks and then... <laughs> you just hope. And then every comedian in Charlotte knows you after two months. Uh-huh. Because uh, cool. it's, it's, it's relatively small. And they're like, small they're like, you know what? We need a comedian. Yeah. yeah. There's one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you all, yeah, you all become friends pretty quickly. It's like the equivalent. It's the size of, you know... If you if there's that one open mic you always go to at you know uh-huh. Jeffrey's um, Diva Bar on Sundays you know yeah. that that has karaoke right after in Bushwick I'm just making up an open mic oh yeah yeah but, yeah but you're I like mean, oh that's the well spot I go to I know a lot of the people here yeah that's like the whole that was like the whole Charlotte scene it's just that one open mic oh wow because well that's such a different experience. because New York is so many scenes yes coming yes. into meld into one giant scene and it's very like um uh, like what you're talking about actually sounds not that bad i i coming to new york 
I was coming from like a, another complete other profession where I had done all right. And then I, and then I was like, okay, I'm start, and I'm starting over. And I was like, Oh, this is high school. I was very bad at high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still bad at high school. Yeah. Well, there's this like weird thing that happens in New York that I think can be counterproductive to like growth as a comic, which is like getting attached to doing well in a certain room. Oh. Like I got to slay this room <laughs> and I got to write for this room. Yeah. And then pretty soon it's like people came to the greatest city in the world with the most diverse population to perform for like one neighborhood essentially, oh, or yeah. one bar or one just pack of people, which I feel like is like, I mean, I, I, I think everyone's got to find their voice. So that is important to know like where people that like support your voice and think you're funny are. But I feel like sometimes it, it seems like people, because we run that show at Brick Spot. Uh, which we've plugged on elder episodes. You can get the information in the show notes or something. Um, but we've noticed that certain comics will come on and maybe they just haven't done that many kind of like barked in audience shows or like club shows. Mm -hmm. And they really don't know what to do with an audience that doesn't um, think exactly like them. Doesn't think exactly yeah. like them. Well, you just put a, you just said the words that I was trying to get at when I was initially saying too late and I couldn't put my finger on why I meant, too late mm -hmm. is that I think that I found it's much easier. It was much easier for me to find my voice doing all the different shows around New York, um, than driving 12 hours to do 30 minutes in a casino yeah. or 30 minutes at an electric cowboy. I think that the road can stunt finding your authentic voice. Really? Um, why, how so? Because you're so, you're you're put in positions where you have to entertain such uh you're like forced to pander not in a referential way but like yeah. you want them to have a good time so you can't be yeah you're so it's 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 so only about the audience having a good time that it doesn't give you a chance to you know find find your voice as well as if you i see new york comics you know, doing their thing. And if it doesn't work, who cares? Those right there, these there's comics becoming big deals that are just doing their unique voice that would die a horrible death if they did that on the road and they would never be booked again and they wouldn't have a place to perform. So can you, <laughs> so. is it possible to, <laughs> is, it, is it possible to um, give them a little bit of that whatever it is they need, like uh, a little bit, something a little, I don't know, dirtier or local or whatever, whatever it is they need to do that for a minute and prove that you're funny and you get them and then take them somewhere else. They yeah. don't expect. So that's what I, that's a lot of what I tried to do on my, in my experience with the road was, you know, try to, you know, do some local, um, try to win them over with, you know, learn some crowd work. You learn the crowd work and then you try to take them to a, a more authentic place. But yeah, your authentic voice. But in New York, what I'm saying is I, I've found, I think I've come closer and closer to finding my voice doing shows around New York and, and now good clubs on the road with yeah. good audiences. But I'm saying doing bad rooms on the road is very hard for, yeah, finding, that's like your, lonely too. for finding your voice and yeah. the 10 hour drive 
And the loneliness is rough too. I, I, I mean, drove 10 hours for people not to understand you in a certain, in I think, an event yeah. space. Yeah. But, there's, but the comics that start here are like, oh, but yeah, you didn't have to do two minute mics. But, but I'm like, oh, but I would have preferred to just like make this group of friends mm -hmm. doing two minute mics. And then they're like, join a community. They're like, well, we're not all friends, but yeah. so it goes back and forth. Yeah. It goes it back and forth. It's, I, I've, I've had this conversation so many times. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, I, I, I kind of wish I'd been in a media market for a while yeah. and, you know, had that experience first and then come here. But I also now, as I'm slowly but surely clawing my way, you know, out of the, you know, open mic scene. And, and more into shows and things like that. Um, now that I'm doing that and I have a class of people and I'm watching them get things and, and I'll, like I, now I'm fine with it. Uh, but when I was going through it, I was like, man, I fucked up. But, <laughs> but for people that for, for people that have that question that are new, should I move? I can answer the question. I met Todd Berry one and a half years into comedy. And I was like, should I move to New York? And he was like, yeah, why, why the hell would you not be in New York? <laughs> and I think he's right. Yeah. <laughs> so I would just listen to Todd Berry. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Well, do you think, um, why, why would you not be in New York? That's where everything's happening. That's where uh, everything's yeah, happening. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why I came here. I same, same thought process, but would you uh, say those people that do the, um, I have a lot of friends that came from Chicago and Philly and they seem to be really good really quickly and have a very they and they also seem like they developed a voice pretty quickly. Yeah, it, or maybe not quickly, but you know, they, I think Chicago, Philly, Boston, Seattle, San Francisco—they're similar cities to New York. You yeah. develop a voice, you know, you develop your own thing, and you get great crowds in the first two or three years. Yeah, Philly they, is the most fun city I've ever done stand up in. But if you wait it out, if you start waiting it out past five years, I think you're missing some opportunities. Yeah, in my opinion. How? how Far into it were you? Did you say? I'm sorry. You said six years. Six, six years. years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I just, that's that's you blew it, dude. Now, you're, <laughs> <laughs> now you've only got the two albums and the <laughs> oh, late uh, night appearances. No, I, I'm happy. I'm happy now because I'm in New York. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was not that. I'm, so what I'm saying is, I was not that happy. Totally, totally. Not being in New York. Mm -hmm. yeah. Also, yeah. you didn't know everything you know now about happiness. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You were exactly. sad and you didn't know that that was happy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. All right. So this next bit is called Andrew Jackson. It's by the one and only Joe Zimmerman. It's from his album Smiling at Wolves. I saw the movie Lincoln. I thought it was a good movie, right? I think there's a president that would make a much better movie, though, and that's Andrew Jackson. <laughs> I read an article. Andrew Jackson fought in 103 duels. That's a lot of times for a president to be like, I hate you so much, one of us needs to die. <laughs> he never died. Can you imagine fighting in one duel today? You've insulted my honor. Take it back or we'll duel to the death at dawn. Okay, I'm going to take it back. <laughs> I think you have nice pants after all. I have no interest in dueling to the death. I have no interest in waking up before dawn <laughs> to duel to the death. Can you imagine that alarm? Ah, eh, eh, oh, crap. <laughs> I gotta go get murdered. <laughs> Man, I'm sleepy. <laughs> Coffee hasn't even been brought to the U.S. yet. Alarm clocks haven't been invented. <laughs> I 
He was a commander in the War of 1812 over a militia that wanted to mutiny because he's so crazy. And he said, if you mutiny, I will have all of you killed. And they didn't mutiny. <laughs> a whole militia was like, I think he's serious. <laughs> <laughs> He's so mean. <laughs> Do you think all thousand of us could take him? I'm not sure. <laughs> He's scary. First ever assassination attempt was on Andrew Jackson. He invented the assassination attempt. A guy walked up to him, <laughs> shot point blank. The gun misfired. The dude pulled out a second gun because I guess he'd heard how hard it was to kill Andrew Jackson. <laughs> and uh, presumably Jackson was like, go ahead. <laughs> The gun misfired again, and then Jackson beat the dude with his cane, and Jackson's aides pulled Jackson off of his assassin. <laughs> so the equivalent of the Secret Service saved the assassin from the president. <laughs> and then Jackson had a statue of himself built right on that spot. And when he left office after eight years, he said his only regret as president was that he didn't shoot John C. Calhoun dead. John C. Calhoun was his vice president. Can you imagine Obama in 2016? Any regrets? No, everything was fine. Do wish I'd murdered Joe Biden. I do wish that. It's your only regret? What about the fiscal cliff, the unemployment, the Obamacare website? Nah, it's all fine. Wouldn't take any of it back. It's just that one manslaughter. <laughs> that one highly illegal manslaughter of Joe Biden. And when Jackson died, he had a parrot. Because apparently he was also a land pirate. <laughs> And the parrot had to be removed from his funeral because it wouldn't stop cussing. <laughs> I don't know what's better, that his bird was also belligerent? <laughs> or that they brought a bird to his funeral? <laughs> Either way, I really want to see this movie get made. <laughs> and I want it directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yes. And I want Andrew Jackson played by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and I want Andrew Jackson's parrot voiced over by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> hey, you guys, I have a website. It's google.com. I hope you come find me. Thank you so much, Asheville. I appreciate it. So... I, I, before we dig into it, I do want to read a wonderful quote to you. This is from John Mulaney. Okay, this is, he, was, he was interviewed on Vulture, and they were asking, they were asking, what bits would you steal if you could get away with it? And John Mulaney said, uh, 
He said, I would hook, line, and sinker steal this bit from comedian named Joe Zimmerman about Andrew Jackson, where he just takes you through the true facts of Andrew Jackson's life and then has the best jokes about them. I've listened to it on YouTube like a hundred times. I have fantasies sometimes about doing it. I'll be on the treadmill and I'll be thinking about it being my joke. I wish it was mine so bad. I just love it. I was like, oh, that's so funny to take an audience through real facts about andrew jackson who's on no one's mind <laughs> and then joe zimmerman brings him up and tells you real things he did and has jokes off them that are the that are great and it just destroys that is my absolute grand envy i want that joke so bad <laughs> yeah i mean Mulaney's obsessed with me you know <laughs> clearly clearly yeah. um no that like so that apparently he, he was interviewed on a podcast I think it was, it's called a good one. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, we're aware of it. Okay, where they interview comedians. <laughs> where they try to do this. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. And, um, As a lay person. And, uh, <laughs> and so somebody told me this podcast came out where John Mulaney references me. And I was like, I was like, John Mulaney knows who I am? <laughs> no, I just thought I've never crossed paths with him. I was shocked. Uh, and then I listened to the podcast and he goes in depth about yeah. one of my bits. I was just so, it was just so bizarre yeah. because I've never crossed paths with him and he's a gigantic deal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I don't know where he came across it. It's just so funny that I felt it's just so funny that he's, that he's so that, that, into it. that he's so into that yeah, bit. We were trying to do his bit, your bit as him. Uh. <laughs> we're, we're just like, what was the the pulled out a gun? Like I can't, I can't remember it. it was, oh, we, f- I, I forget. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we tried. We were doing it. We were to each other. We were doing. Oh, just John, as, yeah, 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 as John Mulaney. But, but yeah, as soon as <laughs> he, gotta wake up for murder, for murder. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as he. Um, but I, yeah, well, yeah, as soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, that, I could see John Mulaney destroying with that bit. Mm-hmm. Like that would, yeah. that bit would be right up his alley probably. It's just nice. I just felt good for a week. That's the end of that story. <laughs> I just felt really you know, nice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, consummate joke thief John Mulaney <laughs> yeah, is seriously. after your material. Well, they ask, <laughs> they ask him what joke would he steal? If, I know. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. I, it was a joke. Oh, I didn't say it was a good one. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> which is the name of their podcast. So I do have a question about kind of this is overall, there's a way that you go about um, your comedy where you are going to tell them new things they did not know. And then you're going to make jokes about that, that thing. And sometimes that can be hard because people can be like, I don't teach me a thing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, like how you approach that, or how you've dealt with that, or um, as you've built your material. Um, it's a gigantic challenge for sure. A lot of bits get, have to get thrown away because you can't teach people everything. You can't teach people too much and then do a bit. Mm-hmm. Like I really want to talk about the Berenstain Bear conspiracy. Oh, yes. With the Mandela effect. I'm dying to talk about Bear, but I could only talk about it on my podcast because you have to set it up for a while. Yeah. Only, you know, 10% of the audience is aware of this whole Berenstain, Berenstain confusion, controversy. Um, And you have to really set it up to then knock down some jokes. And it's just too much setup. Uh, but you know, to do the real, to do just rooms of people around the country, you have to explain the whole thing. I love doing material like that, and then my fellow comedians will be like, "Nice TED Talk, Jeff," 
<laughs> you know, I love that. I love that kind of stuff. I love reading. Interesting. Like, um, you heard a bit that I'm working on about wolves and dogs. You said you liked it. Um, it was that it's it's just oh, how yeah. like the genetic code for um, that creates Williams syndrome in human beings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes, <laughs> makes them love yeah. other human beings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the same genetic code that separates dogs from wolves. So uh, there's so much to communicate there very quickly and you even say words like genetic code and people are like yeah. I didn't come here for this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I so I, I, that's why I asked for my own you know at comedy education how do you approach you have so many bits like that I, I left off the Berenstein bears so I le- just give up I, no but I'm trying <laughs> to think of some other examples uh, I'll, I'll, I also left off a bit about Socrates from the album <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to talk about how um People say how Google's making us dumb and how, but that whatever technology we've ever had, somebody says it's making us dumb. Uh-huh. Like it goes all the way back to ancient Greece when reading and writing came around. Socrates thought it would make people dumb. <laughs> reading and writing? He was like, not for me. And, uh, <laughs> and I tried to go through a bit about like, Socrates being like literacy that's for idiots and he's yelling at his son like Lamprocles that was his son's name I googled it <laughs> Lamp quit staring at that tablet you're rotting your brain uh, and I tried to go through this bit about Socrates and Lamprocles and it was and it's just like people didn't want to hear the name Socrates yeah I felt like yeah they shut off to the name Socrates but um but other bits uh, where you have to teach I guess you're 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 alluding to Andrew Jackson if it's fun enough, then people are willing to listen. Uh-huh. I think it just has to be, you know, three times more fun than it is teaching. Right. It's like the three to one. Oh, okay. Ratio. Got it. Like it's all it's and you've almost you got to like pepper in like here's a silly dumb thing to say right now while yeah. I'm teaching you. Yes. I heard. I heard. Yes. I heard somebody say that about um, if you're going to be dirty, it has to be three times funnier than it is dirty. So like Dave Attell mm. gets very dirty, but he's so, 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 so funny yeah. that it's always three times funnier. And I think that applies to a bit where you're teaching somebody something. It has to be three times funnier than it is them learning. <laughs> also, all the information you're telling That's them so great. about Andrew Jackson is like the funniest shit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Right. Got yeah. 107 <laughs> duels and didn't die. Yeah. yeah. Went with the, went with the action. Yeah. Went with the action parts. It's wild. Were you just that interested in Andrew Jackson at a point in your life or what? How did you even learn all this shit? About yeah, it was, it was, I was doing comedy around Atlanta and you're just hanging with friends and, and somebody mentioned how crazy Andrew Jackson was. And then like, a few months later, somebody else mentioned how crazy Andrew Jackson was. They love him. And then I, you know, started reading about Andrew Jackson. And I, it was at the same time that I w- watched um, a Quentin Tarantino movie, either Inglorious Bastards or the next one with Jamie Foxx. But J- Django and Chain? Django and Chain yeah. and Inglorious Bastards, where it's about revenge and, you know, Samuel J- L. Jackson is heavily involved. And so I wanted to, t- I was like, how do you talk about, like, to me, history stuff is so interesting. How do you talk about it? And I was like, maybe I could frame it. I could frame it as a movie that should get made. Mm. And I'm still shocked that there hasn't been a Quentin Tarantino, Andrew Jackson movie. That's that where they, cause he likes to, he likes to mix up the history where, you know, Hitler gets murdered. 
I can't believe there's a, not a Quentin Tarantino movie where Andrew Jackson doesn't get killed by all the Native Americans. He started the Trail of Tears. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe there's not some revenge Native American Andrew Jackson movie. Uh-huh. And I'm still shocked that there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I, I don't know why Quentin Tarantino hasn't made that. You got to pitch this. Uh, I mean, I've been... You write the script. <laughs> you make the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know how to do what Quentin Tarantino does, <laughs> but I just feel like it's right for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're just right for his voice. Yeah. So it was this combination of the belief in a twin, in a Quentin Tarantino movie mm-hmm. and the desire and the love for I ridiculous that, history. That framing is an is a super important thing. Yeah, you have to fr- you, yeah. you usually have to frame it in a way that's not like here's some history. Right. So you have to find a fun frame. Yeah, you gotta have it like it's like peanut butter around the dog's pill. And yeah. then you go, here you go. Yeah. Here's here's the it's a movie now. You like movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like uh for example, right now I really want to talk about Darwin and Newton, because I think they're both crazy, but I haven't figured out how to frame it yet. I love I love your topics. I we I I've when I listen to your stuff and then I look, I'm like Oh, I think about the same things that you think about. Like, I was listening to, oh, he has all this stuff on wolves. I was like, and I'm like obsessed with dogs and wolves right now. Uh, or, and I was a history major, so I love to talk about all the crazy shit in history, but it's so hard to get, mm-hmm. it's so hard to get people to be willing to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially in a bar. I'll just tell you one fun fact about the thing I like about Darwin that Please. makes, that makes me want to chase down that trail is my scientist buddy Raj told me that. His book, Origin of Species, which was very controversial at the time, is two, two chapters just identifying rocks. <laughs> like, he's such an innocent, sweet old man and became so controversial <laughs> for just identifying a real thing, <laughs> which was evolution. Uh, and then Newton spent 10 years alone, depressed and alone, trying to turn... Uh, things into gold and just failing a decade is a long time (laughs) i didn't know that Uh, and that was before he did the famous principia where he discovered he figured out gravity so before he had done anything he was just alone for a decade failing at gold (laughs) (laughs) do you know about alfred kinsey the the guy who came up with the he was the first guy to like apply the scientific method to human sexuality um, and he was before he wrote like, uh, sexuality, the human male, sexuality, the human female. And it was like this big stink in the fifties and sixties. He came up with the Kinsey scale to identify where people are at in their uh-huh. sexuality. So before he ever did that, he was obsessed with gall wasps and, uh, these, this particular wasp and he collected over 60,000 specimens. And I was just like, at what point was he like? I can never get enough. (laughs) (laughs) I need another one. Like, is there anybody in his life? It's just like, you're good. (laughs) Stop killing these wasps. (laughs) I did some research afterwards and it was not 60,000 gall wasps. It was 7.5 million gall wasps that he collected in 36 different states. Wow. I, I, I just I had to correct it because I didn't want to offend any other Alfred Kinsey enthusiasts out there. Also, of course, please take a minute and it would mean the world to us if you took those couple clicks, those extra taps, just pause right now and share the show with somebody that you think would love it. 
And of course, you can send us money. We'll take money. We've been taking money. It's been amazing. We're I'm basically almost covering my costs, and it feels great. Thank you, Patreon patrons. Uh, you guys are incredible. And then last, of course, please go get Joe Zimmerman's album, Innocence. It's great. I loved it. It's so funny. Okay, thanks. Back to the show. History is so full of those obsessive people. Yeah. And I don't know if those kind of obsessive people exist anymore with our smartphones. Because mm. we're so easily like, I don't need to obsess over wasps. I can text my friends. Yeah. Right. I can watch Netflix in my hand. Yeah. <laughs> and I, Einstein uh, would just sit in his chair and ponder for six straight hours, very frequently. He would just daydream for six hours about mm. a problem. Again, you, I don't think people do that anymore. Right. Uh, it's a rare, it's a rare individual. Yeah. Just like, does he even I feel like the people that do that people? now are comedians. And <laughs> 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 that might be the only people that just sit and think about how crazy something well, is. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll leave my phone at home and, and maybe spend two, uh, three hours. And it's nice, but... But beyond that, it's I can't imagine going the whole day. Oh yeah, your, your, no, your stuff on time. smartphones is great too. It, it, it's you've got a good oh, yeah. Uh, but you have to listen to the album if you want it. Yeah, you uh, should buy it. So we can choose between it's there's so many, but there's Pet Snakes, Innocence Game, uh, either one of those. Uh, well, why don't we save the Innocence Game to tease listeners it's into listening, yeah. and it's listening to my hot new album that yeah. everybody's talking about. Innocence, <laughs> on which he looks, the, the album cover, he looks so ever so innocent. So sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's a great photo. Uh, yeah, that's on the new album. Okay. Um, and I hope you listen. It came out with Comedy Central Records. We're all very happy about it. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that the Innocence bit is about my fear of uh, this is not on the. This is not on the album. It's my fear of um, being falsely accused of a murder I didn't commit. Because mm. I grew up with Shawshank Redemption. Mm. I grew up with The Fugitive as my two favorite movies. Mm. So I just became obsessed with the idea of, you know, not being, being falsely accused of murdering your wife or your girlfriend, uh-huh. and how that could happen to anybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then, so now I I do this game in my head where I try to remember where I was at at any given point in a day so that I can prove my innocence and it's a fun game to play. And then I do a bit about it. And you have to listen to the album. In Thank order you. To, yeah. Thank you for the tease. Uh, and, and, um, the I snakes is another thing I'm afraid of. So I guess it's a similar topic. I, I do like the idea, however, of you being in relationships and just being like, like obsessively concerned about their safety, but they think it's because you love them so much. Exactly. <laughs> and you are like, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm actually more worried about me. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's another. There's another bit I didn't do about how uh, I watched the staircase, and there's the. It's the whole owl murder mm-hmm. where like this guy goes to jail for the murder of his wife, and now they think that an owl might have done it because uh-huh. the, in the evidence they found owl feathers in her hair. <laughs> it's pretty incriminating. Owl feathers in her hair. Uh, the wounds match talon marks, mm. and. Uh, and uh, and in the area of Raleigh Durham, these owl attacks are oh, common. Oh, in Raleigh Durham. Yeah, I'm surprised you don't know more about it. Fuck. Owl attacks are common, and the detective was <laughs> like, "Talon marks, owl feathers, husband." <laughs> and I do a bit about like, man, maybe that's why I'm, I haven't been married. Like, like if I ever do propose, like I'm gonna be like, hey. I love you, and also here's a, a, a helmet. 
<laughs> when you go outside. But I, I left that off the uh, the old album. That was too much, too much. I like the cop, the idea of the cop that's just like not good at Clue. He's just like, get it with an owl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the study with an owl. Yeah. <laughs> the husband did it. <laughs> All right, let's play Pet Snakes. Uh, yeah, based on another fear of mine, yeah. Uh, fear of pets. Uh, <laughs> this is from Smiling at Wolves. It's great to be back in Asheville. I actually live in fear now, so it's just good to get out. <laughs> I have a phobia of snakes. That's normal. It's weird that people have pet snakes when there's so many fluffy pet options available. <laughs> How does that go? You want the puppy? Wants to be your best friend. It's a rescue. <laughs> or you could get the cold-blooded reptile that's banging its head against the glass. <laughs> sure looks like it hates you. <laughs> uh, it's the opposite of a rescue. It's an attack. <laughs> It's actually what we rescued the rescue from, so <laughs> that's why we keep them separated <laughs> with bulletproof glass. Oh, you want more information on the limbless serpent? <laughs> that surprises me. Um, let's see. I know it has infrared vision like the predator monster. <laughs> It's been the symbol for evil since the beginning of time. <laughs> seems like a red flag. <laughs> oh, you want Nagini? Weird. I thought you would have got. Thought you would have got the rescue. Little Harry Potter reference. Apparently snakes have taken over the Everglades, giant, exotic anacondas and Burmese pythons. They don't belong there. Apparently people bought baby snakes. They didn't realize they grow to be up to 25 feet long. So at some point in that growth, they were like, hey, Mrs. Slithersby got scary. <laughs> she just took a horse-sized dump. And our horse is missing. <laughs> Have you seen Pony Danza? <laughs> Maybe we should put her outside. <laughs> She'd be happy in the Everglades. Nice swamp, lots of old people. <laughs> She'll do well. Huh. I know you guys think I don't have any more snake material. If you want, it's a long bit. Talk about it, and I, I definitely want to finish it. So uh, this comes from phobia, obviously. Yeah, I had heard a story about somebody that their snake kept losing weight, kept losing weight, kept losing weight, and uh, they loved their snake so much, and they kept taking it to the doctor, and the doctor was like, I don't know, it seems healthy. And then they kept, it went back to the, the, the vet again, and finally the vet was like, you're not sleeping with your snake, are you? And they're like, yeah, she lays down next to me in, in bed. And the, do the vet was like, she's trying to save up room to swallow you. <laughs> because she's laying next to you all oh night. Oh, my God. So, like, so it just, I, I, I'm, a, I'm afraid of snakes and all these people. That oh, it's horrifying. All these people with pet snakes, they love their snakes, but their snake always wants to eat them. 
That's so No matter fun. how much you think your snake likes you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. they're 100% carnivores. I love that you do, you've got some fantastic like synonym con- comedy in here <laughs> where, you, where it's like limbless serpent. I do um, like synonym comedy. Yes. Um, very much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great. It, when, it, it's, it, when it works, it's just like squeezing another dropout. Yeah. Another one. Yeah. Limbless Serpent was playing. I played with, yeah, just playing with words till you find something funny. Cause mm-hmm. I think I tried a few different things. Like a, it play was like, they got forked tongues. They got, they can't, they can't close their eyelids. I just played with various things. Uh, yeah. Eyelids that don't blink. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. 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 So funny. And then also putting it in the framework of a pet shop person. Mm-hmm. It, right where they're like well oh, that surprise that surprises me yeah. <laughs> i like how you open banging his head against the glass <laughs> it's yeah. such an aggressive but if you here's that teaching thing again like yeah. if you were just to say did you know that they have blah 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 that's not nearly as fun as a pet shop employee who's very confused as to why you want <laughs> yeah. to actually have this thing so then he describes the horrible things that you <laughs> It's not a rescue, it's actually an attack. That's hilarious. <laughs> the symbol of evil since the beginning of time. <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect tag. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Uh, how many different, uh, Mrs. Slithersby? Like, how many different versions <laughs> was there before that? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, brain, I'm just brainstorming silly names. Yeah. That's a fun thing. Yeah. Brainstorm silly pet names. Yeah, puns are fun in stand-up when it's just like, oh, I have an opportunity to pun it up. Yeah, Pony yeah. Danza is amazing. Yeah. yeah I love that. <laughs> The further on you get, the more absolutely absurd it is that people would keep these as pets. Um, Because you would hope that a pet loves you, and there's just no way. No way your snake Snake loves you. you. Yeah, they'll attack you. They'll they'll swallow you. Right. They're they're never going to love you. No. (laughs) Because they don't have Williams syndrome. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's do the last part of the bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know you guys think I don't have any more snake material. But my friend had a snake. (laughs) And it constricted on his arm. This story doesn't end well. He had to cut off its head with a knife. He has permanent nerve damage in his arm. And he goes, I don't get it. Ten years, no problems. And then this happened. And I wanted to be like, well, I get it. It's not like it was sitting behind that glass loving you. It was just staring at you with eyelids that don't blink. Hating you. And every day it was growing. Waiting for the day when you could fit in its stomach. And after 10 years of that, he was like, screw it, I'm not big enough, but I'm tired of living in this fish tank. I don't care if he has a knife, let's do this, YOLO. I know, you only live once. Hashtag YOLO, the snake said it. <laughs> YOLO was fresher in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> it was hip. It was hip. Yeah. I love that. I love that little story, too, because it's just it absolutely, and it, it is, it's horrifying, even like thinking about, oh, God. Yeah, they're terrifying creatures. <laughs> Everything, I think, is based on a, a real thing that happened or I've heard, because people always, after shows, it's frustrating every now and then somebody will be like, is that true? Was any of that true? Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, it's not fun to just lie for an hour. <laughs> yeah. There's no, yes, these are all based on things that have happened to me uh-huh. or stories that 
Somebody told me about this guy whose arm was constricted on. Yeah, I'm not ex- I'm not sharing myself and relating to you if I know I'm just lying to you the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The most I'll do is combine two combine. stories. Yeah. Right. That's the most, uh, you know, which apparently, which is just a thing storytellers do. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's If you have three characters and they all serve the same purpose, you need to, for, for the listener, to combine them into one person. They yeah. don't care. Yeah. No one's fact checking your story. Right. Uh-huh. Okay. If you're listening to comedy and you're fact checking comedy, you're the one doing comedy wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, comedy. Um, but thank you, thank you. That was really nice of you guys to uh, to say nice things to me and listen to my comedy. Of course, man, we love it, and <laughs> well, we, we hope more uh, people listen to your comedy and say nice things to themselves or to you on Twitter. How is my pacing on this on this? <laughs> You're pacing. Oh, luckily, I, I'm going to edit this so I can fix all that. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah. You You're going <laughs> to yeah. add some long pauses in between, <laughs> in between my words. Long pregnant pauses where you yeah. wait, and then I'll move laughter over for the right moment. (laughs) I I do want to, I would love to uh, say something before you end. The pacing has been on my mind because uh, when I heard Milady mention me, (laughs) I listened to everything he said and he was saying how on his first album he had trouble listening to it because the pacing is so slow. Uh And I remember liking his first album and being surprised that he was so annoyed at his pacing. Um, so that I thought was an interesting thing that he said and, and, uh, and now I'm more aware, I'm kind of listening to if my pacing, I've actually picked my pacing up a little since the album recording. And I feel like it's been, um, things have been working, hitting harder for me since I've picked it up a little. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, I've heard it said that, um, you know, like stepping on the laugh, right? Which is where, like, yeah. if you go too fast, then you don't give people a chance to laugh at something. And right. so they'll cut their laughter short yes. uh, or they'll miss the next joke. Right. Yeah. And um, or there, but there's it's almost like a like 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 surfing. Like you ha- there's a there's a wave of laughter. And then if you let it die down too much, then you have to start over again. Yeah. Whereas if you if you time it just right and the laughter is still happening, but it's starting to die down and then you hit them again right at that right moment, you can keep surfing. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you just, yeah, you just keep it moving right as it's keep it moving right as it's mm-hmm. dying on down. When I was listening to it, I was just like, God, the confidence that Joe has in his material to be willing to let, to let it die down and be like, all right, are you ready for this next line? <laughs> uh, I, it, it was, I was just, God, I, I wish I had that. I, yeah. I get scared. Well, that, I mean, I think that's why it's fun to do a new bit for the first time on stage because you don't have that confidence. You're mm-hmm. waiting to see where the big laughs are. Yeah. And it's fun to sort of swing and miss, but also get a surprise big laugh. You're like, oh, that I didn't think that line was going to be a big laugh. But totally. then you're aware of that moving forward, which lines work and which ones don't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's just, you know, that's just having been able to work out that hour on the road for the previous year or whatever. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for uh, coming through, let's, man. Let's wrap up. So uh, please, everybody, first of all, a big thanks, thank you to Joe Zimmerman. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, guys. And please go head over to Spotify or iTunes, preferably iTunes, and get his new album, Innocence. And uh, his previous album, Smiling at Wolves, is also available. I found it on Spotify. Mm-hmm. I think it's still on iTunes, too. All the places. All the places. And you can follow our guest at uh, Zimmerman Comedy. That's his, that's his Facebook handle, as well as Joe Zimmerman. That's on Twitter. 
Joe Zimmerman on Instagram. All these will be in the show notes. And then it's youtube.com forward slash channel forward slash uppercase U, uppercase CJA241ZX. <laughs> I'm the most active. I think I'm the most active on Instagram at Joe Zimmerman. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's where your, I'm trying to have my game. fun. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. go to his website too, zimmermancomedy.com. And, Love uh, that. Um, our plugs, of course, please head over to brickspotcomedy.com so you can see us live. You can check out, there'll be, there are tickets there and show times and so on and so forth. And as always, please, um, if you feel grateful, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash let's talk about sets and you can tip us. Yeah. Uh, you can help support the show. Yeah. Be part of a movement. Tip your staff. Yeah. Venmo us. Treat them right. Or if you yeah. don't want to do that on a monthly basis, you can just send it to PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> They're working hard here on a Sunday. Yeah. Treat them right. Treat the boys Thank right. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Appreciate you know? it. Yeah. <laughs> Very sweet. Uh, at PayPal. PayPal is Jeff at Let's Talk About Sets, or you can even Venmo me yeah. <laughs> at Jeff hyphen McBride on Venmo. Uh, You're going to have to get a Venmo from that weirdo that wants the $12 an hour for uh, the transcripting. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I can't wait to meet him. Um, okay. If you want to find out more about our guest, head over to letstalkaboutsets.com. Check out the show notes. We also have lots of episodes organized by theme and comedians that we discuss. You can get our episodes automatically every other week by subscribing to the podcast. And special thanks, of course, to Salt and Peppa. Fuck yeah, girl. I love you so much. Thank you for not suing us just yet. And, uh, uh, that's it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.